Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the revelation of your truth, for giving us understanding as to what's going on. Lord, we know that in the last days there'd be huge adversities, uh, cataclysmic events, uh, apocalyptic pain, Father God, and that you have told us about these things. So, Lord, I pray that today you'd give us wisdom, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what's been going on. Um, many people want to know. It's actually becoming a huge stumbling block for people who do not understand why these things are happening and why you let them happen. So, Lord God, as we explore this day, we pray for the testimony of Jesus Christ, the witness of the, of the, of the Lord Jesus, and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. We ask for your wisdom. You said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So as we explore this very difficult subject of why do you let these things happen? Where was God? Uh, how can God let these things be if he's good? Let us get your understanding, your mind, and your heart on this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, you know, we are, most of us are aware of, and you know, it's all over the world now, the uh, tragedy that occurred in Sutherland Springs, Texas, a small town outside of uh, San Antonio just this past Sunday uh, during a morning worship service at a small Baptist church. Uh, a, a young man, 26 years old, came with a uh, high-powered uh, rifle, assault rifle, started shooting into the church from the outside and then coming into the church. Uh, 26 people murdered. Uh, recent report uh, said there were 10 people that were, uh, 10 of the wounded are in critical condition in a hospital. And uh, the, uh, the dead included the 14-year-old daughter of the pastor and his wife. Mm-hmm. And also an eighteen-month-old mm-hmm. baby. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a, a a terrible, terrible thing that has occurred, and yet these things are becoming more and more commonplace yes, in our nation, in the United States, and of course in other places in the world as well. Yes, I heard that some of the most of the victims, or at least half of the victims, were children. <clears throat> and you know, it's kind of interesting <clears throat> that nobody really wants to talk about God. Nobody knows how to handle these things. Everybody has the question, where was God? Or mm-hmm. why didn't God stop this? And, and, and the questions become even more confusing uh, when you're talking about something like it's so confusing because it's happening to people who are going to church, worshiping God, supposedly God's very people. But it's kind of interesting, too, that in these situations, uh, most of us have pretty much learned to live our daily lives with a bare mention of God, very he's very minimal in our thoughts. And, and yet when these tragedies come to the surface, um, that's the first thought. Where was God? It's so horrible that we can't comprehend, put this in the context of what we understand in life, unless we bring God into the context of what's going on. Oftentimes he's the f- last one to get the credit for anything good, yeah. and he's the first one to get the blame when something evil occurs. Yeah. Yeah, but but this is this is seems like with these with the church shooting. I mean, you know, not that we're judging people for where and how they get murdered, massacred, slaughtered, uh, killed, but this you know is especially troublesome because these are supposed to be God's people. How amazingly wrong it was for was for God, wrong for God to let them be shot. That's kind of I think one of the thoughts that how could he how could he let this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, he is the obvious. God is the obvious. 
He's going to have to factor into our thoughts, our meditations, our answers, solutions, conclusions, needs a whole lot more in the coming days than he ever has been in the past. But obviously, um, he is both the giver of life and the one who controls and determines death. He is the one who is the healer and he is the chastener. He is both God of mercy, a God of mercy and a God of judgment, which means um, justice for those who, uh, judgment for those who reject him and justice for those who love him. Um, So there, you know, there must be an answer to this. And also it's kind of obvious if you're doing any kind of detective work that there has to be another player in this game or God is playing both sides of the board and he's insane. And, and, and uh, at best, he's fickle and undependable. Well, we have to recognize that we, a big issue is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is uh, operated under the all-sovereign mm-hmm. uh, creator, God, mm-hmm. is overall, yet on this planet, Mm-hmm. And in, in, in really in, in space as well, among the, among the planets, there's the activity of a fallen being, angelic being named Satan, that has great influence upon human beings. Mm-hmm. And so he is involved here in this. And we live in this world where he is assaulting. He hates mankind, and especially he hates the follower of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ. Another thing to remember, too, that, yes, God is our protector, our provider, but the protection that he has over our lives, and he does not insulate us from all evil. Right. We, we, you know, we, we are, in a sense, we're victors. There's times where we're victims of the enemy, but along with that, we are victors through right. Jesus Christ. Well, we have to understand that this prince of the power of the air is you're speaking, the God of this world, um, has temporary dominion and jurisdiction over the planets, over the over the the stars, over the sea, over the fish, over the winds, over us. Not that we are absolutely controlled by him because we have a free will, but he also has power to use any of the objects within this creation to do his to do his damage, to do his his work. And why would you have <clears throat> the the perpetrator here? You have the enemy that's working on this Ming man, probably from childhood. We don't know all things about his history. More and more things are are coming out about this particular uh, shooter. But but obviously he was very much influenced and under the control of demonic powers. Yes, and I think this is one thing people I don't know in the world and the press if they're going to be willing to put this piece into the into the puzzle but people can be controlled by demons absolutely out of their mind doing things they don't want to do you've got this uh in a in a smaller more daily scale with people who are trying to quit drinking for example and can't stop they're being controlled by demonic body of death operating systems that are operating through their soul that have been put in place through the experiences and the and being set up and programmed by the things that have, they've experienced in their lives and this is on a, on a psychological, normal, everyday, everybody scale, if you ramp this up and, and throw in deliberate programming, uh, not only demonic, diabolical, but actually engineered uh, using uh, various techniques that they were doing in the, in the Cold War to create uh, people who were programmed, uh, we've all seen the movies, you know, Born Identity and, and Manchurian Candidate, where they're actually programmed as assassins or assailants, 
that this is very possible. This is actually been done. So it's not only looks like it's possible, it actually has been done. But Go ahead. Yeah, so what you're saying, there's this programming. Basically, as far as human history is concerned, it started in the Garden of Eden. Right. Satan was there to reprogram Psychologically reconditioned, right. And, and, and she was deceived into that. And, and then you take it from there, and Adam went along with her. And so there is a demonic, a satanic programming sure. through agenda. lies, through mm-hmm. religion. There's an agenda right. that just multiplies as the generations come and go. Well, if we, yeah, and, and uh, this goes like from Genesis 1 and 3 uh, to Genesis 6. By the time we get to Genesis 6, we can see this incredible onslaught increase of evil evil in the world and we know at that point in genesis 6 where the angels the sons of god the fallen angels saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and came into them and unto them and and took them as their wives and had offspring and those offspring were nephilim and giants but we can see within the next verse chapter of chapter 6 verse 5 then the lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intent or the words intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually or thoughts all day long, all the day long. He was just imagining evil, inventing evil, doing evil, being part of evil. And at that point, all of creation had succumbed. The DNA was completely corrupted. There was only Noah. It says in verse six, we go on, the Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, but both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. What, an, what a statement for the almighty God, the creator of beautiful, it's good, it's beautiful, it's, it's holy, it's wonderful world, to finally come within just, I don't know, maybe 600,000 years, saying, I'm sorry I did this. Right. Well, in, in Genesis 6, uh, 11 and 12, uh well, go through verse 13. This is from the Amplified Bible. The earth was depraved and putrid in God's sight, and the land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. God looked upon the world and saw how degenerate, debased, and vicious it was, for all humanity had corrupted their way upon the earth and lost their true direction and their identity i'm sure wow Wow. you know that's exactly where we are right now we've kind of been slipping towards that ever since the flood the flood was that place where um god said okay i've got one more thought in mind here and he found noah who was the only one left with righteousness or it says he was found righteous in his generations in other words in his this is the genealogy of noah noah was a just man perfect in his generations noah walked with god one man survived, and I'm sure he, his descendants were also there, but Noah was the, la- the, la- the, the, the one on stage at that moment to represent the last vestige of good, pure, God-breathed DNA. And so at that point, God had one, he could either throw it all away and maybe start again, or he could take Noah and put him in the boat, which he did, and of course preserve, uh, to get rid of, cleanse the earth of all of the creeping things, the putrid uh, activities of man. But you can see that this building up of 
the putrid, the vile, the blasphemous, even today. I mean, look, that was the beginning. Now look where we are. You can use the same words. And it's, it's shocking. It's sad to see how vile, hatred, blasphemous uh, comments, uh, declarations are being um, found commonplace. Disrespect, rebellion, uh, disgust for the dignity of man. All of these things are being absolutely, I don't know, marginalized, trivialized, removed in the thoughts of many people, which I think are people. And so this puts God in a very difficult place. So what Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty seven through uh, 39, he said, as it were, as were the days of Noah, so shall so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So mm-hmm. the same type of thing that was going on there yeah. is going on, and we see it yeah. uh, multiplying exponentially in our day. Mm-hmm. For just as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, men marrying, and women being given in marriage until the very day Noah went into the ark. And they did not know or understand until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, so this is the darkness. There's, there's, a, but there's the bright spots that we're going to be talking about a little bit later, and that is Noah was the bright spot, right? And he was basically the, and all of us descend uh, have descended from Noah. Well, you know, and as it was in the <laughs> days of Noah, you know, when you think about what was going on in the days of Noah, there were. Actually, for those of you who want to believe this, and it is true, but many have not yet learned or heard of it, there were giants in the earth in those days. And those giants were uh, powerful Nephilim, men of renown, who were actually controlling the human population, and uh, they were cannibals. They were eating the people. They were eating one another. So this was an urgent situation uh, because things were being destroyed and lost. But God corrected the course of human uh, life, through the, the flood, except that we also see there were giants on the earth afterwards as well. And today, if you compare it, we say, well, are, are there giants coming back to the earth? Well, I don't know if there'll be giants in size or giants in intellect, like uh, your, your AIs and your transhumans and your robotic uh, creations. All of these things that, that have been done to circumvent the soul that have been circum- done to circumvent free will so that men are, are they look like us, they want to be as human as we are, but they're not, they don't have souls, they don't have wills, they're p- programmed, and they're controlled by and animated, if you will. In the, olden, in the Old Covenant, Satan was animated, animating sticks and stones, and they were worshiping bulls and oxen and, and weird things. And even today, we worship rats and elephants and various things in various nations, but the thing is, back, that was then, but now we're worshiping the work of our hands again, these monstrosities that we're creating to replace us back, to, basically. But with this, we have to recognize, I know there's many layers here, but Satan has another agenda. His agenda is for his own eternal life. His agenda is that he will not perish and that he will find a fit extension or habitation in which to dwell. His, that when the demons... Uh, when, well, when the giants died, these cross, these hybridized, crossed, fallen angel, human um, types, the, their their spirits, 
had nowhere to go because they didn't fit the heaven category. They didn't really fit the hell category. So they stayed on the earth wandering around like Marley's ghosts. And so they are wandering around and they're the demons that Jesus cast out of people when he was here. And they're the ones that are looking for a, a place to dwell. It's interesting. Satan is looking to create uh, fit extensions or habitations for himself to dwell in. And with that, he wants to uh, circumvent God's plan for his being thrown into the abyss. This is panic time for Satan because it's not just about killing us. It's not just about separating the less from the love of God. He has an agenda of his own to, to secure his own immortality, which is in great danger. Well, right. And, you know, he, he is, the thing is mankind, we're created in the likeness and image of God. Right. And that's why he can't stand us because he hates God. Satan hates God. Well, yeah. And the, the likeness. And so what he wants to do is do everything he can to obliterate that likeness and image of God. That's corrupt that's the, the image the of God. Corrupt it. To yeah. Corrupt mm-hmm. it or to Violate. bury it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so that that the image of Satan, the likeness of Satan remains is the dominant feature of mankind. Right. And so Satan really is wanting to depopulate the earth. <clears throat> of human beings because human beings are made in the image of God and they're disgusting to him. But let's go back to the Old Testament for a second here in Jeremiah. You know, um, bad things have been happening all along to the humans, to the good pe- the good guys. And sometimes the good guys are very few in number <clears throat> and they're pretty tangled up with the bad guys. And so they're pretty enmeshed. Like Jeremiah, was, he was still in the pit, it says, in the prison, the court of the, shut up in the court of the prison, uh, in Jeremiah 33, 1, and the the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him and said, um, thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it, to establish the Lord it, the Lord is his name, call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. For thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the house of this, of this the houses of this city and the houses of the king of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom, listen to this, whom I will slay in my anger and my fury for all whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. All for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Then he says, next verse, behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. So you see, here's a, a moment of crisis because of wickedness, because of idolatry, because of corrupting uh, the, the commandments of God, because of disobedience. Satan had gained full access into the children of God, the one and only nation that God had called out through Abraham for himself. All of the other nations were under the rule and domination of various uh, evil spirits, territorial spirits, uh, who used to had been part of the council of God, who had fallen and been corrupted, and and yet God had this one tiny nation, and Satan wanted to get it as well. So he had he had polluted the people, corrupted them, uh, mixed together pagan worship, idolatry with the commandments of God, because by this time they had the temple or the tabernacle, and they were to be doing the worship and and, and serving God. I, I actually they had the temple by then. But so God, but but he says, because of my anger, I will slay. I have to clean this up again, guys. I have to remove all this filth, but I will heal. I will bring health and healing. I'll heal and reveal to you the abundance of peace and truth. We're in 
those years right now, between now and the time that Jesus Christ comes back, we are in this very, you could say, very intense and confusing time. And the big question is, um, what what we really want to know here is what's going on in God's mind? Um, what is going on behind these crazy things that he does or gets blamed for or permits? Uh, we, we really need to have good answers, godly answers. And we already kind of talked to you about the, the programming, the, 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 uh, the rule and dominion of the prince of the power of the air, how he had corrupted the people, how Jesus, uh, God had to get back get it back, get life back on course so that he could actually fulfill his promise to Eve and to Adam to bring forth the head crusher who was Jesus who had not yet come. And so, but now Jesus has come, but now we have another crisis on our hands because Jesus is scheduled to come again. And this is the problem. And this is putting the urgent panic in Satan, which that's why we have the press for globalism. So the antichrist, the one world government, the one world Christ, uh, the antichrist can come to take his place to get everybody under his own you know, dominion and control so that when Jesus comes back, the question that Jesus himself posed will be brought up again. Will he really find faith on the earth? And it says in, in these verses and chapters in Matthew and 24, where he's talking about the end of the world, he says, in your patience, possess your souls, because there's certainly so much dialogue, discussion, blaming, blaspheming, division, contention. It's going to be hard to know where we're at. Revelation twelve twelve just seems like a real contrast here. It says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Okay, heaven is rejoicing, okay, because of the victory of Jesus. But he says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, mm-hmm. for the devil has come down to you having great wrath yeah. because he knows that he has a short time. Yep. This is his last stand he he's pulling out all the stops to to steal kill destroy the human race mm-hmm. set up his his son the antichrist to uh, supposedly rule and reign and 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 defile mankind uh, to a place of to being, discourage them i think it pulled them away defile to take <clears throat> them on but yeah. here it, it's um, then i heard a loud voice if you back up then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Revelation twelve ten. Now salvation and strength and the, and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down, and they overcame Him. Mm-hmm. That's the that's <clears throat> the bright spot yeah. here. They overcame Him how by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. This is this is the remnant. This is the this is the bright spot in the midst of all this darkness mm-hmm. that start. We see it recorded in Genesis three, all the way through history: the violence, the bloodshed, the defilement, the perversion. All this in the midst of this, God always has a remnant of people that shine for Him. Yeah, they might not. They and, and oftentimes they're. <coughs> They're persecuted, they're attacked, but they stay faithful, they stay true, they're there. They might look like they're victims, but they are actually overcomers. But you know what? There's always two sides to every coin. And just as we're going to have people who are doing exploits, as Daniel talked about, those who know their God will do exploits, 
and will continue to stand and rejoice. He also says in Daniel, uh, regarding the end and the coming of the Lord, the the second coming, he says uh, in Daniel 7, um, 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He is different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand. For a time and time times and half a time, which is a time is one year, times is two years, a half a time is a half a year, so three and a half years. These saints will be given into his hands, but, verse 26, the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So you can see that in the end, there is going to be this, this crisis of faith for everyone that they will, some will be trampled, some will be, he will, uh, some will be overtaken, overcome, um, destroyed, uh, or would seem that they'd be destroyed because the enemy is being allowed to prosper. It says, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. This is Daniel 8, 25. Um, He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human hand. This is the promise of the head crushing that was given in the Garden of Eden, that the head crusher would come. And in the process of crushing this serpent's head, there was a great battle that that uh, that was fought. And we are caught in that. I believe we are in those days. I don't think, you know, many times in the earth it looked like, you know, there were battles in World War One, World War Two, the war to end all wars, various conflicts, Napoleon, Roman Caesars, and and all of these things. But this one is there is there is no turning back from this one because we have the technology to actually destroy everything. Yeah, exactly. You know, so there are. The point is, there are great uh, victories for the people of God, the true people of God. When we read in Hebrews 11 about, you know, verse beginning of verse 33, there are people that, sub- through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead to life again. Wow. Now, the, you think this is this is how it should be. Sometimes we have the idea yeah, yeah. in America. If you have this, enough faith in God, all these have, good things will happen. If you have yeah. faith, mm-hmm. this is the kind of life you're going to live. And God does call us to live in, in this sort of thing. But also, he says, others. Verse 35 were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings. What Talk about injustice. Mm-hmm. Yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
Mm-hmm. We're tempted, we're slain with the sword. In they, other words. They wandered about yeah. in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, oh. afflicted, and tormented. Now we say, man, this is does not sound like the abundant life that or Jesus Or it doesn't sound like us. a very good God, does it? Right. And it says, but what, what's the comment here of the writer to Hebrews? Uh, well, he says, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. But the Hebrew writer says here, of whom the world was not worthy. Yes, and you know their temptation, the temptation of Job, same as Job. You know, they were righteous, they believed God, they they stood for God, they were willing to die for God, they indeed did die for God. And in the process, I'm sure they were tempted to become bitter and ask the question, why me, God? What's going on here? And that's the same thing. If you go back to the story of Job, which is just packed full of the behind the scenes on uh, what happens and and not only what was happening with Job, a very big tragedy, biggest tragedy a human could endure, losing all of your children and all of your finances and your health in pretty much the same you know segment of time, and so so here we see a very psychological, uh, uh, insidious plot Satan has has cra- crafted against the Most High and his righteousness and to question his goodness. So you know the story of Job. It's, uh, it, we, the beginning and the end of the story pretty much tell the story. Um, we know that Satan challenged God's workmanship um, as manifested in Job's righteousness. J- God had said, to, to, have you seen my righteous servant Job? He was already righteous when this conversation started, according to God. And, and Satan, of course, he challenged him. And he said, well, it's because you give him everything. So, but for Joe, for Satan to do anything, he actually had to petition God. He couldn't just go down there and strike Job as one of his own objects that he could destroy because J- there was no, no sin found in Job. He was righteous. So Satan had no opening. Sin had given him no opening to bring a demonic judgment uh, or, or, or craft an argument or a case, bring a case before him, before the court of God. As with Jesus, he said, the, I'm going to the cross and Satan has nothing on me. Satan had nothing on Job, and so therefore he had to go, and when this conversation came up, Satan took his opportunity to uh, basically petition God for the right to test Job, and God granted it because God is faithful, and Job is his workmanship. God is the one who was agreeing to being tested, because if Job collapsed and fell and failed and cursed God and died, then obviously God's relationship with Job had been faulty, and it had been built on what Satan had said. It was just built on bribery and, and buying him off. And so, um, so in the end, <clears throat> Job passed his test, and God made the closing remarks, which I thought were very interesting. He said, <clears throat> pray, pray for your friends, your misguided friends, who have spent their whole feigned comforting of you, trying to guide you, to in the finer points of piety to find some sin so that they could explain to you why all this bad stuff happens. And a lot of times we do that. We look for a way to find some sin to explain the tragedy. Well, God did this to them. God judged them. God is judging us. This is why the hurricanes came. This is why the blah, blah, blah came. But you notice when Jesus was talked about that in Luke 13, and they talked to him, well, what about the, the ones who's Pilate mingled their blood with the sacrifices. And what about the ones on the tower of Siloam fell upon them and, and 18 were killed? And he says, do you think they were any worse than the rest of the guys who live in Jerusalem? He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And that doesn't imply that they necessarily 
were sinners, and that's why the tower fell on them. But what it means is that repentance is critical to being protected, even though you die. And they died, but you can die in complete protection uh, because God, it says, don't worry about those who kill the body and after that they can't do anything. Worry about the one who can kill the body and throw it into hell. In other words, you know, God is able to protect us and preserve, preserve every hair on our head, even though our heads get cut off. Basically, it's that crazy out there. But so he goes back to Job and he says, pray for your friends, those who tried to comfort you to find a fault with me, actually, indirectly, because if they could pin a sin on Job, they could they could they could justify, well, that's why all the bad stuff happened to you, because God, you broke God's law and God is mad at you for breaking the law. And God is the one who's going to punish you for breaking that law. Now, we understand that the law was given for the protection of the people of Israel. The law is given for our protection because when we're under the law or obedient to the law, which nowadays the law is the new commandment to love one another, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, mind, and strength, your neighbors, yourself. But that law gives us a protection from the enemy who's looking for an open door that sin provides for him. So if you're obedient, it will give some protection. And then the only thing that Satan can do is come to uh, sift you as wheat or or, uh, and God turns that into um, a blessing, actually. So the or- original place of the trial begins to be of necessary understanding before you can understand the whole trial. But going back to Job, so God said um, that this, this the, the, the friends are saying, well, there must be some sin here for such a terrible calamity. And they had examined every possible thought, um, any hidden sin, Um, In the end, God reaffirmed Job's innocence in the matter by telling Job to pray for his friends. He says, um, says, uh, God uh, God said to Eliphaz, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoke of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and offer a burnt offering. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly. Because you, because he says, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. In other words, there was no sin. And God is saying, I did not do this. You know, this, you, you put a religious spin on this whole tragedy, this whole calamity, and Satan init- that Satan initiated, and Satan also initiated the spin on it, and the implication that would find a way um, to make God look like he is the one who is going crazy because he's judging Job for a sin. And so God is going to look like he's got to have everything just perfect, have everything just lined up, or he's going to freak out and he's going to turn on you. He could turn on a dime and destroy even one of his most favorite that's not the fickle, crazy, instable, insecure God this is that, that, the, that Satan is trying to paint the picture of here. Um, this was not a punishment for Job's sins. There was, obviously, as we know, we got to read the behind the scenes. There was another force um, that was not visible, but who had actually initiated the whole calamity. And that appears... Um, that appears to look to us like God's judgment. Now, this is a demonically inspired act. You know, it's pure hatred uh, set up to attack b- both Job's steadfast faith and trust 
because Job was tempted to, to say, well, I could, just, could have said, why me, God? Um, why did you let this happen? Where is God? Why did God, you know, why did God let this happen last Sunday morning? Um, you know, though, you know, but Job in the middle of the whole thing said, though he slay me yet, will I trust him? Even if he kills me in this matter, I will still trust God because that's how where Job's actual faith was resting in the goodness and the justice and the mercy of God. And that's what he actually said. Um, so I think in the middle of our tests and trials, we need to make these very firm declarations back to our allegiance to God, just to make the record clear for Satan that we're not here to give, to, to give, to blame to God, blaspheme God, you know, become bitter against God. And if you are being tempted in your mind to think those thoughts and they come to our minds as temptations, they come as thoughts, you know, I'm so mad at God. I'm so angry. I hate God for what he did. I can't even think about this. I can't even talk. Uh, about why this would have happened, it, how God could have been so like the wicked one looking. And you see, those thoughts are not your thoughts. And they're not the thoughts of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So whose thoughts are they? They're the enemy's thoughts who's causing you to think you thought them so he can set them up as a temptation that you'll easily embrace because you think it's your own thought. Now you have to rebuke that. If you will ask simply this question, who's talking to me? Who said that? Who put that in my mind? Where did that come from? Because the Bible does say, take captive every thought. Don't make the assumption that every thought that's in your head or every feeling in your heart is actually from you. They need to be tested. They need to be checked for the identity, the, the origin. Where are they from? What is the plan? Who's behind this? Because that's where we become the battleground, the battlefield, and the soul uh, wars against the spirit because our soul is set up and engineered and programmed to respond to uh, the, the lie because it's built on the lie and, so, and it's built on fear. And so when the, when the test comes, we have to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh is the, the body and the soul connected, which is called flesh. So we can see even from the story of Job, uh, the devil had been hoped or had hoped that he could reinforce the confusion um, uh, in the masses about the goodness of God. Uh, to question the goodness of God, the dependability of God. Uh, was God going to be there revealing the truth? Um, God revealed who he was, but he never <laughs> revealed the presence of his opponent at this point. He never, that we know of, he didn't say to Job, well, you know, it was the devil who did it. Um, he does, he's such an honorable opponent, God is, that he doesn't even blame his enemy. He's going to let the enemy he, he's he's going to blame him in the end. Obviously, he's going to judge him totally. But, you know, he, it's, it's okay. Here's the rule. If they yield to you, you get them. If they re- yield to me, I get them. And God is allowing Satan to work to keep what he has. To work. To, and it's horrible. But it's honorable. But you see, God is also working at the same time and in the same place to do the opposite thing. So he's working to draw those people out of perdition, out of destruction, out of the struggles of religion, out of the deception. God is good all the time. He cannot be a liar and he cannot not be good. You know, he is he is good all the time. And this is something that's very difficult for us sometimes is that to trust that God has a plan. Now, we can use this, uh, we can say this to the people, the survivors mm-hmm. and the community and the family members uh, that are, you know, at... Uh, in, in Sutherland Springs, in Texas. In grieving and sorrow, You can yeah. say, well, God has a plan and it's all going to work out for good, which is the truth. That necessarily does not comfort them immediately because they're going through grief, anger, mm-hmm. 
well, frustration, yes. sadness. It's and all not, this yeah, it's not and, bad it's enough that, to have lost your loved ones. Right. Now so your you, mind you, is being tormented. Right. So you you don't want to just give a pat answer, mm-hmm. but this but yet this is true, that there's a sovereign plan being worked out, even though evil has come, even though injustice has come. Uh, there's still a plan that God is going to work out for good and for his glory. Right. And so it's and, just... And not only that, but the immediate plan for these precious ones who died well, is they that... Well, knew the, the Lord. They're with the Lord. That's right. That's right. And so they're immediately uh, healed. Uh, those who are in the hospital, we lift them up in prayer and yes. ask God to restore their Jesus bodies and strengthen their life. Yeah. And for those who are tormented in their minds, that God will give them that underlying undergirding of joy and knowing just knowing it's not about feeling at this point the feelings are torment and sorrow and grief but in your spirit you can know you can already know you already do know that God is in control this is God is good all things are going to work together for good and that God has got this because that's the only thing you can go go back to there's a truth the great truth (laughs) encapsulated in a statement of Joseph not, you know, Joseph in the Old Testament, you know, that was unjustly treated. He was, you know, mm-hmm. captured by his brothers, sold as a, a slave into Egypt. He was un, un, unfairly, unjustly accused, thrown into prison. Bad things all over the Bad place. Bad things mm-hmm. happened to a, a, a pretty good guy, okay? Mm-hmm. And, but, and, and then he, he, God all of a sudden took him from prison to the pinnacle of power in the in the land of Egypt, the greatest world power of the day. And then his brothers are desperate. Their brothers and his father, uh, he didn't, uh, Joseph didn't know if his father was still alive, but he and his, they were starving in the land of Canaan. They came to Egypt uh, to look for some food and he recognized them. Joseph recognized them after all these years. They did not recognize him. He recognized them. After all those years, and then the, the point came where they were like afraid. I said, oh, my, you know, he's going to really get us now because we were really, we were very evil Betrayed to him. Betrayed him, treacherous. We, 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 mm-hmm. were, we were traitors to him, to our own brother, mm-hmm. our own flesh and blood. But what Joseph said in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. And this is this is sometimes in the midst of these tragedies. How can we say, along with Romans 8, 28, that in all things God is working together for good. To those who love Working him. those mm-hmm. things together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So basically what I'm saying is that there is a sovereign purpose of God. And a plan. That's beyond, a plan beyond the tragedies beyond the evil, mm-hmm. uh, even you know, the, beyond this temporary life, and there that, is a that plan. We have That's to right. simply trust. We get glimpses of the plan through the scriptures, but some of it, the some parts of it, we don't understand. We need to trust, as you said, Marjorie, in the goodness of God. Well, with Joseph, the plan had already been revealed to him through the dreams. He had the the stars and the moon were the sun and the moon were bowing down to him, and the sheaves of wheat, the 11 sheaves were bowing down to his. Um, and it, so God had already said to him, like God said to Eve, the head crusher's coming, God's got a plan, 
David, you're, uh, uh, Joseph, you're going to have, the, your brothers are going to bow down to you. But it had to be, it had to come through a plan. There had to be a process through which this was worked out. And through that, Joseph was sifted, extremely sifted, as was Peter. Uh, we know with Jesus and Peter how that story goes, that Satan had desired, asked, petitioned to sift Peter. And, and Jesus said he prayed for him. I'm sure the same thing was going on with Joseph, because if God's going to elevate Joseph to number two in command of Egypt, of one of the devil's powers, by the way, Egypt was one of the, the Satan's strongholds of paganism and idolatry, and God is going to elevate his man to, to the number two position, you can better believe that Satan's going to have that boy tested, and that's exactly what, what happened. Uh, and so when you are being un, uh, severely tested, it may be because God has got a plan to exalt or bring forth his plan, his divine original purpose, and not to grow weary in well-doing. Because this is this is where the devil wants to take us, um, you know, and, and going back to, you know, well, you know, some preachers as well with Abraham, you know, we're, we're our, t- our faith is being tested and God was testing Abraham's faith. Well, that's a bogus. Um, uh, we know our faith will be tested, but the question is by who? Let us not assume it is God, because making that assumption also makes the assumption that he doesn't know yet, but God is all-knowing, and he already knows everything. Uh, he knows the temptations. He knows the beginning from the end. Um, he, he knows. Um, so let us not make it uh, a, a matter of being, it being a divine judgment because of sin, uh, because it's not always about sin. But with Abraham... God was not was knew Abraham's faith would would be sustained. Abraham walked it out. The devil was the only one who wasn't quite sure and thought maybe he could get in there to steal the promised child. And the only way he see again, Satan is trying to get break that ongoing moving plan of God to bring the Savior. And so if he can get Isaac killed. Why well, I, I know Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. Obviously, that was the strength of Abraham's faith. Abraham had believed God that through his wilted body, he could bring forth a son, and he had many sons after that as well. But, but, but nonetheless, Satan was believing, if I can somehow get Abraham to kill his own son. And so that story is not fully told in the, in, in the, uh, the New King James or the Old King James or the NIV but it's told very, very clearly in the book of Joshua, which is also one of the books that's mentioned in the Bible. Is, it's, is it not as it was written in the book of Joshua, which is what Joshua said? And so it tells the full story, again, of how Satan came, like with Job, and, and he starts the conversation with God. Well, you know, Abraham hasn't been very, he hasn't talked with you or worshipped you ever since he's got Isaac. You weren't invited to the birthday party. Not You didn't use the word birthday. He says, I, I, I think he's forgot all about you. He loves Isaac more than you. Tell him to kill Isaac. Offer him as a sacrifice. Now, do you know how crazy that, that directive from God must have sounded to Abraham? You're asking me to kill my son, my firstborn only, the one you promised me? Are you crazy? Are you insane? Besides, all of the heathens have demand, all the, the pagan gods demand that their worshipers offer them their children, their firstborn sons to Moloch, to this, to burn, to sacrifice them. So how is Abraham going to explain, well, my God's different than your God because my God is good when 
his God is telling him to offer his son as a sacrifice as well. This makes absolutely no sense. But Abraham didn't ask a lot of questions. He was patient. So was Job. They didn't ask a lot of questions. They, they just walked it out with obedience and kept their mouth shut. And on the way, several times, Satan tried to thwart or stop Abraham from going up to Mount Moriah to do the deed that God had, he thought, well, God had told him to do it. God didn't say, okay, well, just go along with me, Abraham, because there's a big, there's a wager going on between me and Satan here. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll take care of it. But just, you know, no, Abraham had no heads up on this thing like Peter did. No heads up. You just got to go forward. And, and you know how many of us are willing to do that? Just shut up, bite the bullet and do what we're told by God. And, and how many, you know, and, and Abraham just kept walking, just kept going up the hill. And he, it, the, he went to the point where he had his son tied up on the altar. And this kid was not a child. He was probably a full grown man, probably about 33, but probably about the age of Jesus, because this was a this was a prototype of Jesus being sacrificed. And here Abraham's getting to you know, to experience the emotions of God, the father, the terrible, draining, horrible, crazy emotions of a man who had to experience what God experienced. And the angel of mercy was sent at the last minute when Abram had lifted up the knife and was about to plunge it down. The angel stopped his hand. So there was no question that Abraham was going to go through with this. And, and, and Satan was put to naught. And God did provide, as Abraham had said to Isaac, provide the sacrifice. And here was the ram. It was hidden, tied up. But thank God it was tied up. He didn't have to chase it down. And so he had this thing to offer. And so these are the things that you say, well, God was testing Abraham's faith. No, he wasn't. He was, he was proving his point to the devil that God can keep that which he's, you know, Paul says, I'm, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Um, all of these things that we trust God to keep for us, uh, our own soul. That's what you do. You don't try to keep it yourself. You don't say, oh, how am I going to keep this healing? How am I going to walk this out? How am I going to be good enough? How am I going to stay rejoicing? all the time? You can't. So just say, Holy Spirit, you do it. I give it to you. It's your job. I'll follow you. It's about following Jesus. Well, it certainly <coughs> is. And, you know, in the midst of all that's going on in this world here, uh, we are called to shine as lights in the midst of the darkness. Yeah. So this is this is a key thing. Uh, you know, it, it's easy. The, the old, it's it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness, that old trite uh, saying but it's really true you know we're supposed to according to ephesians uh, 5 11 it says we're to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness we're to discern them to reprove them but we're called far to do far more than to curse the darkness and uh, i want to just read from uh, amplified bible in uh, philippians chapter 2 uh, verses 14 this is this is this is positive so we we're looking at all this but okay what are we to do how are we to how are we to be how are we to what are we to do in this uh time he says uh philippians 2 14 and 15 he said do all things without grumbling and fault finding and complaining against god and questioning and doubting among yourselves that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish, faultless and unrebukable in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. 
spiritually perverted and mm-hmm. perverse, among whom you are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons, shining out clearly in the dark world. Yeah, it's very interesting that, um, you know, we God's pr- problem is that he gave us, you say, well, going back to who did this, did God do this? Um, and if, if he didn't do it, directly then why did he let it happen um, well one of the things is because God stands by his decision to give man a free will and our free will is a dangerous gift because it can be taken over controlled influenced um, reprogrammed by the evil one which obviously um, to work against our father against our own life uh, our own uh, well-being this makes a lot of this makes for a lot of loose cannons being fired around the world um, under the direction of the hater. And this is really, people, you've got to expand your idea of what's going on out here. Some of these people are humans who have been programmed. Some of them, they're going to show up that are not human, super soldiers, that sort of thing. This isn't a level playing field anymore where you can just play church and go to your, you know, nice little world clubs and go golfing and, you know, pretend like everything is just like you want it to be. This is a big spiritual war going on. And the sooner you get your head in the game, so to speak, the sooner you're going to understand it. You can, you can watch the screen and the football game all day long. But if you don't have your head in the game and you don't even know what they're supposed to be doing and how the rules work, you're going to get nothing out of it. And the thing is, you can't. this is not one of those spectator sports down here. This is called spiritual warfare. It's not a couch for couch potatoes, you know. Even a couch potato is involved in spiritual warfare. There's no way to get away from it. So um, these with these crazy people going, oh, do I love him? Do I hate him? Is this God? Is this God's judgment? I personally um, believe God is not judging yet. I believe we're being judged because of our choices. I believe this nation is being judged because we have, we have went along with the devil. We went along with witchcraft, idolatry, uh, pedophilia, sexual abuse, abortion we've went along with loving lies and loving to listen to lies and they have saturated our world and we have not stood up and said shut up enough we have not stood and said i'm not taking this i'm not going with this i'm going back to the bible i'm going back to the word of god and if i can't find me a church that preaches it i'll sit at home and read it Mm -hmm. we haven't got to that place of being really sick and tired of this whole thing and until we get there, is this judgment? Yeah, a lot of this is judgment. All things work together for good. Some think people are coming to their senses because of all this stuff. But I don't believe God is going to judge us till we open up the book of Revelation and we see the bowls and the trumpets and the, and the vials and all this stuff being poured out. Then, and, and yet, still, he's, the enemy is the one. He, he's, he's raging against us. He's trying to destroy. He's trying to devour. It's, it's insanity on the devil's part. Well, but but I believe God's judgment will definitely take hold and the wicked will be judged. Right, right. We have we have opened by our our believing the lies of the enemy, which result in our behaviors that multiply curses after curses after curses. Uh-huh. We have opened ourselves to the to the we've given free access to the enemy in every area. Of well, our we've got lives to take it back. Society. This it's is why it's to war. Take it back. It's yeah. time to take back your own thoughts. First of all, start with your own soul. Take back your own allegiances to God. 
And bef- and from there, we can begin to take other things back. But until you your doors are closed, your fort gates are closed, and the sin has been dealt with and gone, confessed and repented of, you are in no condition to go out to the front lines. Exactly. Ephesians 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't give him any room at all yes. in your life. And the time will come. The time is now, actually, yeah. when true colors are being exposed. Yep. And God says in the last days, the godly would get more godly and the ungodly would get more ungodly. And you can just see it right now. You can see like there's a there's no more middle it's ground. You're either. Line. Yeah. You're either on God's side or you're on the side of hatred and evil. And you're the side of love or the side of hate. Yeah. The time will come. We read in the last chapter of Revelation. Let him that is be godly yeah. be godly still. Him that is righteous be uh, righteous still. That is him that is uh, ungodly be ungodly still. And and so there there's a point where now is the opportunity to cross over, where an ungodly person can become a godly person, and a wicked person can become a righteous person. But the time is coming. There's a separation where you'll na- no longer be able to cross from one to the other. Right. Where your character is yes. going to be crystallized mm-hmm. forever and ever yeah. and ever. Yeah, and one of those places is at the point of the mark of the beast. Yes. Where if you take the mark, it's probably going to be a shot or some sort of injection or pill, something that you ingest that will change your DNA. And once your DNA is changed, you will no longer be human. And if you're not human, you're not savable. Okay, that's as simple as it gets. It's the people won't want to be saved anymore. Do not take the mark of the beast. It's better to lose your head than your eternal life. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, this is what's going to happen because Satan is going to try to destroy, steal, take away as many from God as he can. And so like Jerry's saying, we need to, um, I know we need to wrap this up, but this uh, this conversation is good that we can understand um, that God is, is is righteous he's on the throne he sees it all we can trust in him he's got this in psalm 75 the first part of verse 2 it says god says when i choose the proper time i will judge uprightly so that doesn't mean he doesn't judge uprightly all the time but he means that righteousness and this is this eventually and this is part of this is part of what we long for for all of you who've been thrashed and crushed with injustices and accusations and loss of inheritances and people stealing and killing in your family and making you the bad guy and practicing witchcraft against you in your workplace, all of these times you're ripped off by the court systems where you were crushed and, and, and kicked to the side, uh, the widows and the orphans and the broken ones, and the, the, the innocent ones. God will judge uprightly <clears throat> and all things will be brought into judgment. And that's where we will be vindicated. We will be validated and vindicated. And when Jesus Christ comes again, which he is coming on the clouds, and let me just read that part to you because that is our final hope. Um, let's see. Uh, it says, I watched till the thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garments were white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a flame of fire. Its wheels of burning fire, streaming fire, issued and came forth from before him. A thousands and a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened 
And then he says, I watched in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the cloud of heaven, and with him the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one which shall never be destroyed. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this promise of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and in through us. So in this mean time, which is a mean time, keep us, Lord God, as the apple of your eye in the, inscribed in the palm of your hand. Help us not to panic. Help us not to become bitter or weary or, or angry or upset. Help us continue to rejoice, to look up, look up because our salvation draws nigh. And Lord God, we know that it's going to get worse than it is. And at the same time, that draws us even closer to you, which is wonderful and exciting. So cause us to rejoice, to be at peace, and to comfort those who are mourning, uh, and to give them the oil of joy and the garment of praise. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. One more thing for those of you who listen to the very end. <clears throat> I'm doing a workshop on the 18th of November. That is a week from basically uh, today, whatever. 18th, Saturday. It's free, open to the public in Dayton, Minnesota, just north of Rogers. Um, check it out on our website, liferecovery.com. And, and in regard to uh, liferecovery.com and uh, org, we invite you to check us out. Be blessed. God bless you. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.